Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Get The Table, another wrestling roundtable discussion podcast with myself, Adam Wilborn, and the deadly boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick here to discuss another burning wrestling issue. And that issue today is AEW's Botched Revolution 2023 build. Michael Sidgwick, what the hell happened? I don't know. And I'm a bit concerned about my investment in this pay-per-view and whether AEW has peaked creatively this is going to be an unfocused rant <laughs> mirroring some of <laughs> AEW's storylines at this point. Look, MGF versus Danielson, I think, has been a really, really cool storyline. Yeah. Indirectly built, trying to create a contrast between the two characters via the gauntlet and MGF barely working. And they've really started to intensify the personal side of that conflict. Indirectly, it has incorporated several incredible Danielson matches. That gets an absolute passing grade from me. Mm -hmm. That is the expected AEW standard. Elsewhere, oh boy, I'm really not sure about this, and I think it's well beneath AEW's form. There are a few issues, and they reoccur as well. One is that it's quite rematch heavy. Mm -hmm. In that we've seen John Moxie versus Hangman Page three times. Two of actual planned matches. I think it's all been very nicely built. It's not top-tier AEW stuff, but when they get in the ring, it's genuinely magic. I think the match itself will be great. And just a quick note on that. Don't I'm not going to do the thing when Revolution over-delivers on the build because the level of talent is great. That doesn't really mean anything. We go back to the NXT takeovers mm. of 2018 and 2019 when no one hand on heart loved. Well, obviously people did. But the TV wasn't that great. But the talent roster delivered on the night. That's not what I want. I want a full episodic TV experience. So there's Paige and Moxley, which is just below the best here. And it's meant to be one of the key attractions. And it feels like the old AEW would just preserve in really interesting ways and build the anticipation for the final showdown on the pay-per-view. By design, this isn't that. Mm -hmm. Samoa Joe versus Wardlow feels cold. They've done a decent job of rehabbing it, but at the same time, it's going to be one of the biggest over-deliveries in wrestling history if Wardlow versus Samoa Joe can beat anything from the Samoa Joe versus Darby Allen feud. Yeah. It feels backwards. Um, 
Another problem as well is that there are two matches that aren't confirmed for the pay-per-view but look likely to be added in Keith Lee and Swerve Strickland and Jack Perry versus Christian Cage, both of which feel like they've just kind of happened. Yes, angles have been built, but several months ago it feels like, or last year, and then they've Keith Lee and Christian Cage have returned in time for the pay-per-view. It feels, they both feel kind of old, a little bit past their dramatic peak and disconnected from everything I've been watching week to week, mm. which is sort of an isolated, sorry for the word, Taz, an isolated banger festival. <laughs> and the two of the key matches that are expected to happen at Revolution don't feel like I've lived through it very recently, don't feel like they're peaking at the right times, they feel tacked on. Um, and this Chris Jericho, Ricky Starks thing is a cliche of a program that I don't think a single person, I've not read a single sentiment online of, oh, this is great, or oh, people are being too harsh on this. I know it's over in arenas when they've done various matches mm -hmm. and the promo exchange, and yes, there is a disconnect between the online wrestling fandom and people who attend live, and maybe we should take stock in one and not so much the other, but my God, I'm personally not interested. I can't feel a vibe, and if you go to a show, you're obviously going to have a better time than you would on TV. I don't necessarily think all of the time it's a big, reliable barometer. It's the most phoned-in big storyline in AEW history for me. Unforgivably so. The gauntlet's a cliche. It's so obligatory. They've got it backwards. I just think the whole thing has been a total misfire. It feels like the most cliched AEW thing imaginable. The women's division is a bit of a disaster. I do not care where certain people used to work. Tony Storm voluntarily left WWE after her character was disgraced and treated as a joke. Mm. How can I possibly take seriously the idea that she is playing the stand-up for WWE character? It's terrible. It's a three-way. Ruby Soho's probably the designated jobber. The gun club thing feels like a meta experiment. It just feels like the storylines are there, but they are cliched. They are meta experiments. They are WWE obsessed. They feel tacked on to stuff that I've not really watched week to week. It's just an unfocused and frankly bland mess. Yeah, Sid makes a good point there as our um, alarm for dodgy booking comes in. Because <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where, yes, we are obviously holding AEW to a very high standard here. That is something that we've done for a long time. But it's it, it feels in particular with this one that, it just stands out more than most. Yeah. I um, honestly can't say from memory, because mine with AEW isn't as good as Sidge's, that, like, this has had, like, set, like the rematches is a big one, but this doesn't feel, um, like, disastrous. You know, AEW pay-per-views, typically, they're so big. There's so many matches that not everything can hit as high as the things that you remember. The standout matches from every AEW pay-per-view so far. However, um what I've realised in the last few weeks when Dynamite's not been feeling like it was hitting the heights of early 2023 mm. is that maybe um, great matches were obscuring not fantastic episodic television. And I didn't see it in the moment, so I'll take that L as an analyst. As you know, we watch and we review these episodes week on week, and you were kind of coming in. Uh, Brian Danielson was in the middle of the gauntlet, so that, that was almost that guaranteed match that was going to rule on any given Dynamite. But then there was rippers being wrapped around that as well. The Hangman Page, John Moxley feud has taken place entirely on television. Mm. Um, the, like the acclaimed 
were like they really weren't putting a foot wrong in tag team programs to the extent where something that was never going to be renowned for being like a work rate classic against say Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal was nonetheless captivating television wrestling. There was loads of it. There was high quality TV wrestling out the ass, and I just wonder if the lack of uh, storyline development wasn't really noticed. You mentioned Joe and Darby Allen. We're all thinking about this Joe Darby Allen run as we prepare for Wardlow versus Samoa Joe. Those are the least favourable circumstances with which you could prepare for that match when they've already had not that great matches. Like, I don't really know where to lay the blame there because you don't want to discourage Tony Khan and everybody else within AEW from putting on high-quality wrestling, from raising the bar of what can be expected on weekly television. But, what, it's late February now. I'm already thinking about those January Dynamites and I'm not fondly recalling great angles between these wrestlers. I'm not remembering... Um, if you look at last year's Revolution, we were discussing this in the office earlier on. If you take, for example, uh, Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho, uh, CM Punk versus MJF from that card, and there were others off like a really tremendous card. But if you take those two storylines just themselves, you can remember individual angles that built up to those like highly anticipated singles matches. All of these have had build. None of them are without story. Yeah. None of them, you're not going in blind to any of these. But are you really pulling like great flashpoints out? Like outside of MJF, Danielson, mm. I don't really think there's too many flashpoints beyond wrestler A fought wrestler B. It was good. Do you want another go at it? Or titles are on the line. There's just not that like exciting promo angle driven stuff that AEW was doing as well as the matches at its. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help? A try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Peak. Well, following on from that, Sige, um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, it's going to sound incredibly hypocritical because we've got this tag match four-way with the newly crowned Champions Gun Club, which shocked everyone. Is one of the reasons possibly that it's all a bit predictable, including arguably the results of some of the matches on this card? Yeah, I think that's been a fundamental issue 
in AEW, but a solution as well. You can't have a really credible world champion who enjoys a lengthy reign, and when that reign ends, it means something, and the person who dethrones that champion gets over as someone who has conquered this insurmountable task in a major event. You can't do that without having like literally months of predictable mm. storytelling. Wrestling kind of has to be predictable. Wrestling has to make sense a lot of the time, but it's very much that way across the card. And yes, you mentioned the guns. People will mention the guns. That, to me, is like a rule-proving exception. Um, I, it's just something that you kind of have to accept as an AEW fan. And I'm more than happy to accept it usually, but it is a fundamental flaw in the week-to-week -week experience. The other side of the extreme is you go to the Attitude Era, hmm. <laughs> and you just you cannot have that for the prestige of your titles. Otherwise, you'll have a situation where the Intercontinental title means literally nothing for decades. You know, I just think wrestling has to be predictable in some way. But this has been a problem with AEW since its inception because these are the values that which Tony Khan holds dear, and yet there have been amazingly white-hot periods of this promotion when that principle was still in place. So I don't necessarily think that's an excuse. The job is to write a story, have the destination in mind, and make the audience want to see that destination happen. Mm -hmm. Whether it's predictable or not, it should be predictable. You should want, you should condition your audience to go with the outcome and the resolution of the story that is a great creative and commercial success. It has to be predictable. It's been predictable when it's been seminal, so I'm not necessarily convinced that's the answer. But look, maybe over the span of years, it can get a little bit tedious. Maybe it is a timing issue. I don't know. I just I expect so much from this promotion. Yeah. I hold it to the highest standard. Look at something, and then this is a little bit off-piste. Look at something like the House of Black versus the Elite, right? When this was first mooted, I was thrilled because I'm massive Elite Mark and I know the match is going to be incredible. There was a part of me, and yes, I should probably no-sell the online reaction, right? There's a part of me who thought, oh boy, as much as I love the Elite, a lot of people don't. They are prone to very cheesy, earnest kinds of stories. If you combine that with the House of Black... <laughs> Everyone's going to rip the piss out of this, and it could get very corny indeed. I think the most unforgivable sin of Elite versus House of Black is that it's just not interesting. When you have those two acts, people take the piss out of both of them for very different reasons. If you have them in one program, it should at the very least yield something very interesting, very polarizing, discourse, meme fodder, things you can talk about, and it's just been a nothing program. And it's bland, and there's no detail, there's no thought, there's no spark, and that's unforgivable given these six characters and mm. the two acts that they have together. And that kind of encapsulates, to me, a problem with AEW, which just doesn't have that verve anymore. On that specifically, like I always think the Elite are a relevant conversation when we're talking about, like, big picture AWE stories because if you whenever there's discussion about the, this happened after Brawl Out, this has happened very recently with random Kenny Omega to WWE rumors, whatever, whenever it comes up, there is a large portion of the fan base that say, and I understand this too, that simply believe that all elite wrestling cannot function without the elite. Like I, I didn't really get it until like a lot of people were faced with it after Brawl Out and I saw 
that reaction and saw that divide and what it would have meant for people for the elite to be gone. Um, and yet, we've had almost a version of that in this build. Yes, the elite have wrestled plenty. They're the best of seven series. They've defended the trios titles a few times, you know, that, but they've been so disconnected from Revolution. They've never really looked like they've had anything on the horizon for Revolution other than the fact they wear belts. So the, the assumption was yeah. to be made, it's the elite and they've got belts, so they'll be on the pay-per-view. But it's not as if we've seen them in any sort of program that warranted a pay-per-view. They've had this little back and forth with top flight. You know, there was no afters with um, Death Triangle. That was done and dusted. So Visa it, issues well played a part. And I think the visa issues is, like, it's a not insignificant point. I'm not wanting to make an excuse for Tony Carney, but it's a not insignificant point that the House of Black were teasing stuff with the Elite as far back as December mm-hmm. when they decked Brandon Cutler. And then the Elite win the belts, and then Kenny Omega can't get on television, and the House of Black are suddenly programmed with Eddie Kingston and Ortiz. Was that a, like a safety net in case you can't get Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks? But then in the meantime, the Young Bucks weren't building anything really. There was a loss to Top Flight that was setting up this mini TV program with mm-hmm. Top Flight and AR Fox, but they didn't have an eye, seemingly one eye on the pay per view. They also have been the Elite. The Elite have built up stories, huge arena selling out stories without a television show. They have the capability and the evidence and the precedent to do this without a vehicle like Dynamite and a vehicle like Rampage. And even they, again, just my sort of own speculation, how I viewed this last few like weeks, months maybe, they haven't made Revolution feel like this vital destination they need to be a part of. And we're, what, around the nine-day mark <laughs> and there's going to be a face-off on Rampage. Last week's Rampage, as we record this, featured like Sidgwick's Pet A, NXT, one team arrives on the stage and lays out the challenge, effectively. that's There's never been a Kenny Omega Young Bucks match with less build on a pay-per-view than this one. And if the Elite really are what people say they are, is that E, if they're still that E in the, the company initials, it's okay to expect more. You should expect more. If you look at all of the hot phases of AEW, okay, as soon as Dynamite launched anyway, mm-hmm. that immaculate build to Full Gear 2019 their role in the weeks with the great episodic TV ahead of Revolution 2020 when you didn't know who was going to turn on who. Every character had a motivation that you kind of just bought, that you sort of, they were all justified but conflicted. That incredible summer of 2021. If you take MJF and CM Punk and maybe Moxley's highlights away from everything, when the elite were at the narrative epicenter of this promotion, the promotion was at its hottest. And the fact that they're not doing it now lends credence to that theory and, in fact, is just very, very strange that they're not a part of it, seemingly. We were talking before we came in here about, you know, previous uh, issues with AW pay-per-views. Uh, and you said, look, you know, I, I didn't really think the Forbidden Door build was that great, but then they pulled it off on the night. I have no doubt the revolution is going to be a I great want, pay-per-view. I want more than that, I. But, yeah, can this build be salvaged? we got... I've got Rampage, but we've basically got one week left. I think a handful of people need to cut the promos of their lives on television next week, and knowing AEW and knowing <laughs> the talent they have, it probably could happen. Um, it'll take one of the best episodes of Dynamite in history to speed run a way to get people to invest in it the way they were ahead of All Out 2021 or Full Gear 2019. Um, like, even Revolution 2021... Not the best show, to be honest, but the build was better than this. Um, I I don't think it can be salvaged in one week unless they are, for whatever reason, saving their absolute very best for the week of. And even that wouldn't justify the kind of 
impatience I've felt, the lack of trust in the process, just the lack of really feeling emotionally invested in the show. If you're only going to do four pay-per-views a year, and maybe we'll have a little brief tangent in the end to talk about whether that's a good idea anymore. If you're only going to have four pay-per-views per year, you can't just do something the week of, the week before, Mm. to really get people on the hook for everything. I think that's a flawed, flawed model. So even if it is great, it's not ideal there's a thing as well, like a lot of what we're discussing today is rooted in, like Cedric said it there, our feelings, subjective tastes, takes on these shows. Um, you know, and if people disagree in the comments, reply, just be nice about it. <laughs> and that's fine too. You can go into this paper you thinking this is your favourite run of AEW ever. You know, everyone's entitled to that. But what has been the focus of a lot of AEW conversation lately, the numbers. Like ratings conversation, you're either into it or you're not. But it's most interesting when you're kind of like dealing with extremes, when shows are flying or when they're dying. Rampage is like on its arse at the moment and Dynamite's not had a fantastic run save for the odd couple of weeks and the likes of the Jay Briscoe Tribute Week and things like that which was a you know a spike for a different reason let's have a look at a buy rate after this as well like mm. you know we're talking subjectively right now a week and a bit out barring something like Tony Khan rocking up on Dynamite and saying it's CM Punk I've been saving him for the the ultimate spike of all spikes on a Wednesday. The card is pretty much as it is. Maybe the odd couple of matches get added. Like the buy rate is going to be proof of this or that we were talking nonsense all along and the core base is satisfied. But I would I would guess that there is possibly a little bit of nervousness around mm. this number. You know, um, we're out of the phase where AEW would beat the pay-per-view records year on year on year. That doesn't get discussed anymore because I think they're realistic about not being able to do that, mm. but um, we'll we'll see, I guess. Like, we could be miles off, and the core fan base could be happy enough with it to spend $50 or whatever it is, but it's, I think it's useful still having that metric in a way we kind of don't for WWE because it, it will tell us something after the fact. Uh, you mentioned a bit there, uh, Sidge, about uh, Forbidden Door and things like that. We find out today that presumably rumours seem to be suggesting they're going to be doing Forbidden Door 20-something, 21st, I think it was, of June. Um is it about AW potentially adding more pay-per-views to their yearly schedule for you? The way I see it is that I think it's time now to do six instead of four, not including Forbidden Door, like an extra two AEW exclusive pay-per-views. Um, Winter per, is coming, yeah. could be a pay-per-view, couldn't it? They'd have to change the branding because it's been stigmatized as this TV special. So you need two new names. Yeah. You need two new names, yeah. which obviously are very easy to come up with. Yeah, I think two more is the key. I have loved AEW as much, if not more, than any other promotion in my experience as a fan slash analyst, whatever. That being said, I don't think there has been a single quarter between pay-per-views where it's all gone flawlessly. Even the very best stories in AEW history, if you go back and watch every single segment, they'll have meandered. Mm. And... uh, I even something like the summer of 2021, not my favorite, but I can understand why it's a lot of people's favorite period of AEW television. After, between Double or Nothing and All Out 2021, that space between a pay per view cycle, you had a month long residency at Daly's Place after Double or Nothing, where Britt Baker was celebrating with cheeseburgers and Andrade was getting the worst debut of all time and Nick Comarato was headlining Dynamites with Dustin Rhodes, and it was just pretty bleak. And it was a little bit cynical how they were kind of saving their best stuff for the road. But regardless, it happened. It was not that good. And yet that summer has held aloft. I understand why people do this. Rose-tinted glasses, you want to forget the terrible things. The forgettable things are just too uninteresting to even store in the memory. But there's never been one 
perfect period between the pay-per-views. And I think that narratively, they can just meander. Tony Khan can faff about. I understand why he wants to do it. On principle, the long burn, the patient, slow burn approach, if you plot it elegantly enough, you get a feeling of anticipation that is wrapped, that is just intense, that makes you want to buy, in this day and age, an extortionate pay-per-view because you are so emotionally invested in it. I think genuinely, time and time again, four pay-per-views, not enough. I've been on the hill of, no, no, it works, it works, long burn, slow term, all the rest of it. Six, I think. You cut a lot of the faff. You get a lot of the inessential TV matches that kind of exist for their own sake, even if there is random story attached to it. Backstage interruptions for no reason. There's always <laughs> a story that is not very good. I think that a six-week two-monthly thing would get rid of a lot of the fuss, the meandering, mm. and too much what I would call indirect storytelling, like the gauntlets, like Ricky Starks, his problems with Chris Jericho, but he's got Sammy Guevara to go through. Why? I understand why they used to do it. It was a lovely antidote to the WWE rematch-heavy approach of 2019, but it's not novel anymore. It's not 2019 anymore. Even very good ideas that work for a long time do not work all of the time. I think six is the magic number. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. And like to the point about, you know, WWE is that relatively small roster where they kind of, they will repeat pairings and whatnot. When it comes to premium live events, and this has even been the case in Triple H's run, and I don't think he handles PLEs as well as Vince McMahon used to, they rotate on those. It doesn't get spoken about enough, but not every title gets defended on a PLE. Uh, I know like Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar have been your part-timer champions, but then that extends to Gunther or it extends to the Usos or whomever's got belts at any one time. You have around six to seven matches, so not everyone's getting on them. That hasn't brought back the prestige and the feel like it's not an exclusivity thing. It's simply a rotation thing. They do tend to just have some stories that are pay-per-view ready, PLE ready, and some that fit on television. The need, uh, is it a need? I don't know, maybe Tony Khan likes these long matches, like these long cards, but they need to put on every title and there's an increased number of titles in AEW and last year when there was the Ring of Honor ones to factor in or whomever AEW were working with. Um, the fact that like every pay-per-view could justify having 12 matches because you just wanted to put all your belts on there is a problem in and of itself. The idea that there are six shows means that, for example, a Jade Cargill who looks like she could be frozen out of Revolution. Not fair on her. They've just not given her a story while waiting for Chris yes. Statlander. But she's not been given anything. But typically, he would just pull a match out of thin air and you'd be watching it at Revolution. It'd be filling time and it'd go in a death spot and nobody would benefit from it. Now, like she, if this was a six-pay-per-view cycle, she'd already be in the middle of her story setting up for the one, or like teasing the one in two months' time. The Statlander story mm. wouldn't need to be part of Revolution because it'd be a part of the one in two months. So I think it would be healthy for the belts and the champions and the wrestlers as well. Um, again, it's not something that I think gets reported much about WWE because then you're overexposed to them on television anyway, so you don't get the benefit of it. But I think AEW could probably balance that a little bit better. Well, let us know your thoughts on the road to revolution in the comment section or on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch there, you can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. Follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE, as I said. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts. But this has been Get the Table. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 